laws. We understand laws as part of our life and as part of the way God made the world. If you don't understand laws, um, I'm not encouraging you to do this, but if you were to get on the interstate today, going to Monroe, and you were to get up to 120, and then you would do that two or three times, eventually you would probably be uh, pistol whipped and put in jail for a, uh, at least a little while until someone could come and get you out. Look, traffic laws, I mean, that's common laws that we encounter all the time, and really, uh, although they can cost us a lot of money if we, <laughs> if we mess up, they're meant for our safety. They are meant to protect us. Let's take the law of gravity, for instance. Um, if someone was in the balcony this morning and they decided to fly from the balcony into the, to the baptistry, the law of gravity says what's going to happen? Someone near the back is going to be splattered on top of, probably, aren't they? Because the law of gravity uh, says what goes up will come down eventually, that's for sure. This morning, if you have your Bibles, turn to 2 Samuel. We're going to look in chapter 11 and 12 this morning. We're in the third sermon of a five or six-week part series called Sins, Scandals, and Second Chances. It's to me, an amazingly powerful, scary story in the life of the awesome king, King David. Second Samuel 11 and 12, if you don't have a Bible, the scriptures will be on the screen. Here is the first law of nature and of God that we're going to see this morning. We reap what we sow. We reap what we sow. When a farmer plants corn, corn comes up. You know, I, I've said this before, but it is always uh, funny in some way when you, uh, you see a guy arrested on TV and they said, you know, he had a, a two acres of marijuana in his woods. And I didn't plant that. I have no idea how that got there. Somebody planted it, didn't they? I mean, you, you don't plant tomatoes and get cucumbers. You don't plant corn and get dope. You get corn. What we plant is what we get back. Now, I'm going to kind of catch you up to speed. Many of you, if you've been here the last couple of weeks, you've heard me read this story. But in chapter 11, here's how it begins. David is the king of Israel. He is the awesome, godly king. He's the guy that the the Lord says, this is a man after my own heart. This is a top-shelf God follower. He's probably about 50, early 50s. He has been in Jerusalem for a while. He has uh, solidified his kingdom. I mean, he is sitting great. He is powerful spiritually, financially, uh, is a warrior. Everything is great, but he's supposed to go to battle, and he doesn't. He's supposed to lead the troops in battle, but he doesn't. He stays behind, and he stays behind. And one afternoon, he's out walking on his, uh, his roof, and he sees this beautiful lady. The Bible says she was beautiful, Bathsheba. Bathing. Now, it's interesting. In verse 4, there's a little in the, in the New International Version that's put in parentheses. It says, she had purified herself from her uncleanliness. What did that mean? Well, for a Jewish lady, when she had her monthly cycle, she was unclean. If a man, if you're a man and you had an open wound, you were considered unclean. And so if you're a man, until that wound stops or stops bleeding, then you are to purify yourself and then you're clean again. For, so for a woman during that time, she's unclean. When that time's over, she had a ceremony. It wouldn't, wouldn't have been anything out, we'd think out of the ordinary, but a, a special bath, a, a purification that she was not bleeding anymore. Also, it showed that she goes to see David after this bath and that she was not pregnant when she went to go see David, and then she's pregnant after she sees David, not her husband. That is the extreme significance of that strange little 
add-in in your Bible there. David commits adultery with her. Not just with any woman. This was a woman whose husband was in one of her, David's top 30 fighting men in a special group. Not only was the husband, but her dad was in this special group of 30. Not only was her dad special to David, uh, but her granddad was one of David's advisors. This was someone he knew well. He sees this woman. He's friends with her husband, and he has an affair with her, and he gets her pregnant. Instead of stopping right there and, and quit the bleeding, David tries to cover it up. He has Uriah come home. Uh, he t- tells him to go home and be with your wife. He's going to try to make him think he got her pregnant. It, Uriah won't do it because the, the soldiers during times of battle took a vow of chastity. They were not going to uh, have sex during the, the battle. Uh, David even gets him drunk, and he still won't do it. So then David signs a note to go to the commander saying, look, put Uriah in the most vulnerable spot, pull the troops away from him, and let him die. And he gives this death notice to Uriah to take back to the battle. And Uriah dies in the battle. Verse 26 and 27 in chapter 11, if you'd read these little verses with me. When Uriah's wife heard her husband was dead, she mourned for him. After the time of mourning was over, David called all the family together and said, you will not believe what I've done. I have really been a skunk. No, it would have been good if he would have. But he brought her to his house, and she became his wife and bore him a son. Now, look at that last little sentence. But the thing David had done displeased the Lord. That biblical word displeased literally means it caused God to quiver. It means it upset God emotionally. And this wasn't done in a closet. This wasn't done where no one knew what was going on. People saw what had happened. And then Nathan the prophet comes to confront David. And let's look what happens when what he sowed, come, he begins to reap. Look in verse 9 through 12. Why did you despise the word of the Lord, David? By doing what is evil in his eyes. You struck down Uriah the Hittite with a sword, and you took his wife to be your own. You killed him with the sword of the Ammonites. Verse 10, now therefore the sword will never depart from your house, because you have despised me and took the wife of Uriah the Hittite to be your own. This is what the Lord says, out of your own household I'm going to bring calamity upon you before your very eyes. I will take your wives and give them to one who is close to you, and he will lie with your wives in broad daylight. You did it in secret, but I will do this thing in broad daylight before all Israel. Wow. Here's what God said through Nathan to David. He said, what you did was noxious. It was poisonous. What you did was horrible, David. You took one of your friend's wives, and you had sex with her. And if that was not enough, then you tried to cover it up, and then you had him killed. And then you had his wife brought in to be your wife. And, folks, I'm not sure I fully understood all this until this week, but this did not happen in secret. How did Nathan know about it? Well, did God speak to Nathan and tell him to go to to, uh, David? Absolutely. But I'm telling you, what happened was not a secret. The the people who went and got Bathsheba for David said, Hey, this is Uriah's wife. 
People knew what was going on. Joab knew what was going on when he had Uriah killed for David. The soldiers had to know something was up. And all of David's family, all of his kids saw what was going on. Are you following me? His kids watched daddy commit adultery with one of his buddy's wives, try to cover it up, have him killed. And the next thing, they're having to call her mama at Christmas. I mean, this is tough tough stuff. And we're going to look in a moment at the punishment aspect of this. But this is, you can't miss this, guys. A lot of what was fixing to happen in David's life that was going to be terrible was just a matter of sowing and reaping. What David put out is what David got back. David sold adultery. David sold deceit. David sold murder. David sold cover-up. Here's what happened in David's life. His kids went stark, raving wild after this. One of his sons, Amnon, rapes his half-sister, David's daughter, Tamar. Rapes his half-sister. David is furious. Listen to this. David's furious, mom and dad, but he doesn't do anything. He doesn't do anything. And then another son, Tamar's full brother, Amnon's half-brother, Absalom, Decides if daddy's not going to do anything, I will. So he kills Amnon. David's furious again, but guess what he does? He doesn't do anything. Doesn't do anything. Absalom is gone for a while, then he comes back. And then he starts rebelling against his dad. He runs his dad out of the kingdom. He takes his dad's concubines, his dad's women, and he has sex with them on the roof of the palace for everyone to see as a way he disgraced those women and disgraced his father. And then he pursues his own dad to kill him. And while he's running away from the battle, his hair, he, his hair was awesome. I've always been jealous of Absalom. He gets caught in a thicket, and he's hanging by his hair. Good thing about me, I'd go through that thick. It wouldn't have fazed me a bit. It caught him. And then they end up driving spears through his heart. David has four sons die tragically after this. Three die violently, violent deaths after this. Folks, what you and I do, what we say, it has consequences. It has repercussions. I never saw the full movie, but how many of you saw Groundhog Day, the movie? Is that... Okay. I'm not endorsing it. I saw parts of it. Bill Murray plays a weatherman, and he goes to Pennsylvania on Groundhog Day, and it's... The weather's real bad. It's a Groundhog Day. Everything's fine, but he wakes up the next morning, and what? It's Groundhog Day again. And then he wakes up the next morning, it's Groundhog Day again. So Bill Murray realizes whatever he does has no consequences. So in one of the scenes, he, is, he goes crazy, he gets arrested, he gets thrown in jail, he goes to sleep in jail, he wakes up the next morning, he's in his hotel. It's Groundhog Day. My favorite scene that, that I saw in the movie is he's in a restaurant. He's eating everything that's terrible for you, just shoveling it down. Then he lights up a cigarette and the woman with him goes, what are you doing? Aren't you worried about your health? Nope, no consequences. Folks, if it didn't matter, wouldn't you go home and eat anything you wanted today? No pounds, no problems tomorrow? Amen. You're lying or you're crazy if you wouldn't. But see, Groundhog Day is what we call fiction, right? You wake up tomorrow, you go to sleep tonight in jail, guess where you wake up in the morning in the Gray Bar Hotel? You stuff yourself for a few days in a row and the scales are going to, aren't they? And the blood sugar and all those things that aren't supposed to go up are going to go up. 
There was a guy, true story, he worked for a brewery as a taster. I'm going to tell you a story tonight about a guy who worked for an ice cream company as a taster. I've applied for that job. I'm looking to be a chaplain taster. Wouldn't that be a great gig? They'd just roll you out every morning and bring you ice cream. They'd be rolling you out after a few months, wouldn't they? This guy, for 11 years, worked for a brewery. 11 years he worked for a brewery. Every day he would drink 20 cups of beer at work. You see a problem to begin with, okay? Did he drive home? We hope not, right? 20 cups. He quits, and then he's an alcoholic, realizes he's an alcoholic. And he sues the brewery, and some crazy jury gives him $50,000. Folks, let me tell you something. If you work for a brewery as a beer taster and you're drinking 20 beers a day, you are going to have an alcohol problem, Amen. You can be an atheist and you have to agree with everything I've said so far. What you sow, you reap. Mom and dad, you are sowing into the lives of your kids right now. What they see is what they are going to become, more than likely. Young people, you are sowing. I I had one of our our older people told me at the first service, please tell the young people, what you do today is who you're going to be in five years. Pretty good. All of us here, grandparents, parents, not parents, young people, middle, old people, how we live, that's what you get back. You don't plant corn and get onions. You plant corn, you get corn. It's a law of nature. It's a law of God. Galatians 6, 7. If you've not memorized a verse in your life, this is a good one to memorize. Read this aloud with me, please. Do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. What happened to David is David sowed a lot of garbage, and exactly what he got back was garbage, okay? Now, here's the second law that we see in this story, a second law of God and a law of life. God rewards us and punishes us based on our lives. Now, folks, God is not playing tit-for-tat with you, and and we ought to be very thankful that God lets a lot of things go by that he doesn't really knock our heads off. If God, was, if God was punishing us like we deserve to be punished all the time, we would be dead. I mean, we, we, wouldn't, we wouldn't be alive today. But a law of nature and a law of God is what you sow, you reap, and how you live, God rewards or God punishes us in response to that. Look again in chapter 11, verse 27. After the time of mourning was over, David had her brought to his house. She became his wife and bore him a son. But the thing David did caused God to quiver. He was so upset. Folks, Everybody in this room, you are super special. You really are. Man, you're a creation of God. Jesus Christ died for you. But David was super special too. And David, the Bible says, was a man after God's own heart. But when David stepped out of bounds, you know what? God not only threw the penalty flag, God knocked him back in bounds too. Look again in chapter 12 with me, verse 11 and 12, what it says. This is what the Lord says. Out of your own household, I'm going to bring calamity upon you. Not only do you, you reap it, I'm going to bring calamity on you. Before your very eyes, I will take your wives and give them to one who is close to you. And he will lie with your wives in broad daylight. You did it in secret, but I will do this in broad daylight before all Israel. Now jump down to verse 14. We're going to look at verse 13 in a week or two. But because by doing this you have made the enemies of the Lord show utter contempt, the son born to you 
will die. Now, folks, let me give you a disclaimer here. Don't, don't look at people and say when they have some problem or some issue, that's God's punishment on their life. Do it to yourself if you want to. But don't. How do we know the son was going to die as a result of the sin as a punishment? Because God said so in his word. If that hadn't have said that in the word, I would have never assumed that was part of the gig. But that was, that was just part of the punishment. You see, here's what God said to David. He says, David, you've made my enemies laugh at me because of your sin. He says, David, now listen to this, guys. He said, when you, when you did this, you scorned my word. You despised me. How, how different would we be with our sin if we looked at it like this? When we flagrantly sin against God and other people, we're showing contempt to God. We're showing that we despise his word, at least at that time and for that moment. That is powerful, powerful, powerful. Folks, I want to tell you, again, God's not sitting up there right now ready to pop you or give you a, 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 a popsicle if you do good, pop you if you do bad. But God does reward us or punishes us by how we live. 2 Corinthians 5.10, look at this verse. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. Now, folks, that, this passage is talking primarily to Christians. But everybody, lost people say, everybody's going to appear before the judgment seat. That each may receive what is due him. Look at this. For, for the things done while in the body, whether good or bad. Now, part of that's talking about at the judgment, obviously. I don't understand this. I've said this many times in this room before. How that a Christian can get into heaven and be spanked on the way in. But God says that there. God says that, that you can go to heaven. Listen, David's in heaven today. But I want to tell you, he got spanked a lot before he got into heaven for his sin. Colossians 3.25, Colossians 3.25 says, Anyone who does wrong will be repaid for his wrong. And look at that last part. That's scary. There is no favoritism. Folks, it is a law of God. It is a law of life that we reap what we sow. And that how we live, God is either going to reward us or punish us. Let, let me tell you two mistakes we make in our theology today. One is I hear people say, well, Chris, the Bible says there's no condemnation for those in Christ. That's absolutely true. Condemnation is talking about hell. Come back tonight. I'm going to talk about being saved and how if you're really saved, I believe what the Bible teaches we're going to see tonight is you are saved forever. Come back tonight. Argue with me after the sermon. That'd be great. But we'll look at that tonight. I don't believe you're going to lose your salvation. Condemnation is talking about hell. But you are, your theology is bad if you don't think that God's going to punish you if you get out of bounds here on this earth because he's going to. Here's another thing that we do today. We, we say, well, God is, God is just good. God is just love. God, doesn't, God never picks on anybody. God doesn't see right or wrong. God just sees love. Uh, God is love, and God loves you deeply. But that's called crack pipe theology. Philip Yancey is a Christian writer, and he tells a story of a, of a lady that came to see him. Her name was Susan, and I'm sure that was not her real name. He just used it in the book. But he said Susan was a Christian, uh, very active in her church and her women's groups at church and her Bible study class. 
And she, she said to Philip, she said, listen, I, I, I feel like God is leading me to find another man. Maybe it's an affair. I need to have better intimacy with someone than I have with my husband. And then I think God is leading me probably, when I find the right intimate person, God is leading me to leave my husband. Philip Yancey said he had to hold back from vomiting right there. And she talked about how she spent an hour a day in prayer and Bible study. And Philip Yancey, this was great. He said, Susan, during that Bible study time, does God ever talk to you about morals (laughs) and rights and wrongs? He said, it's like a switch went off. He said, you sound like a typical white Anglo-Saxon male. God and I are into relationship. We're not into rights and wrongs and morals. Folks, God is into morals. That's the truth. You do not need to listen to people that say, well, my uncle does that, so it's okay. Well, my kid does it. Man, so it, life is so, y'all got it so much better than us. Old people hated kids when I was your age. I mean, if I went home and I said I got in trouble at school, there, there was zero asking, was the coach or the teacher right? I was wrong. You were convicted and, and hanged before there was even any discussion. Anybody remember the, those old days? Kids were to be tolerated. Let's have a contemporary service for the young people. No, they're going to do it our way, and they're going to like it. Okay, that worked well, didn't it? But I hear parents say, well, that's, you know, junior. That's what junior's doing, so it's got to be okay. Let me tell you something, because mom and daddy do it doesn't make it okay. This is what we call objective truth right here. And when King David, a man after God's own heart, decided that adultery and murder, those kind of things were okay, you know what God said, David? You better put your big boy pants on because I'm fixing to wear you out. It's a law of God. It's a law of God. God rewards us. That's great. God punishes us based on how we do life. So here's number three. We need to be very careful how we live. That's so simple, but man, isn't that so important? We need to be very careful how we live. And and I don't say this at all with any sarcasm. This is an intelligent group of people. It it really is. It it, it really is. Ruston is uh, is an intelligent place. I was looking this week at some IQs of some, some people you would know. Madonna. Everybody knows Madonna. I would think Madonna's IQ was like 12. 140, 140. Now, the, you know, a national average is about 100. So 140, Madonna, eh, she doesn't use it real well, but she's got a high one. Charles Dickens, you know, Chuck, um, 180, 180. That's not even fair, is it? I mean, who can't write good if your IQ is 180? Bill Gates, you want to be a multi-billionaire, 160, and he uses it. John Fitzgerald Kennedy, 119, 119. Robert Chris Craig, 195, 195. <laughs> y'all, are, y'all are very humorly challenged. That was not even supposed to be funny. Okay, I threw that in there to get you to think also because this is a really heavy subject and to try to lighten the mood a little bit. Here's the truth. Quit blaming your mom or dad, your kids, 
your coaches, your teachers, the school system, the church. I hate to say this. Don't even blame the government. You reap what you sow. God rewards and punishes us based on how we do life. Period. Let's look at two, two areas. One, our words, our speech. How you use that little piece of muscle and mucous membrane in your mouth has tremendous impact. Look what Proverbs 18.21 says. The tongue has the power of life and death. Have you ever thought about that? He who loves it will eat its fruit. Let's look at the positive. Hey, if you decide I'm going to be an encourager, I'm going to lift people up, you're not a fake, you're not a manipulator, but you're going, to, you're going to look for the best. I mean, you know, you see me, you go, hey, man, you're losing your hair up here, but your head shines good. That's awesome. You know, you tell Josh, hey, you got crumbs in your beard, but those crumbs, they really look like the food was good. You know, you be positive. Hey, the sermon was not very good, but it wasn't terribly long. I mean, you find something to build people up. You know what happens? You reap that. You reap that. God honors that. Here's the flip side. You decide God's made you the critic, the judge, and the jury for other people. You slander. You gossip. You reap what you sow. This is true, very, very true. People like to hear a gossip. They will sit close to you because they sit too far away. They're afraid that you'll talk about them. But when they leave the room, they don't really like you, and they don't trust you, and they always wonder, what are they saying when I'm not there? And the Bible also says that God is going to hold us in account for every careless word that we have said. How you speak, how you use your words, God will reward you or punish you. You reap what you sow. You better think about how you use your mouth. And the next thing is our actions, our behavior. How we live is what's coming back on us. You think about the good things. You live a good life, an honorable life. You're not perfect, but you try to live for God. You try to bless other people. Folks, it comes back to you. I've done many, many funerals in my life. And a funeral's always sad, no matter who it is. But one of the things that encourages you when you go to a funeral, and there's lots of people there, and they, they pat that casket, and they say, that person made a difference. That person made a difference in my life. And it's so, man, it's just uplifting when you see people, they reap what they've sown. Listen, when you live well, people will honor that. Not only will people honor that, God honors that. Folks, God is not missing what you do when you do well. Remember over in Matthew 25, it says, you don't give a cup of cold water to somebody in God's name that he won't honor you for that. Isn't that awesome? The, The flip side of that is that when we sow bad... We reap bad. We reap bad. Again, don't blame your mom. Don't blame your dad. Don't, don't blame your grandparents. All of those people may have had a lot of problems and created trouble in your life. But at some point, you've got to break free. And you've got to quit saying, well, it's this person or that person. You've got to say, I am reaping what I have sown. And you've got to understand, too, God honors 
how we live. Our God punishes how we live. I can't look at your life and say God's punishing you for this behavior or that behavior unless you tell me specifically things you've been doing and we can specifically trace those two. But a lot of that's hard to do. And we've got to let, leave that up to God. But I'm telling you not for someone else, but for you and for me, God's going to reward or God's going to punish you and me for how we live. I want to give you a couple little tidbits to, if you're taking notes, write these down. They're not original with me, but they're so good. Here's something we see from David in life. We reap what we sow. We reap what we sow. Corn planted, we we, we get corn. You can't reap junk or sow junk and reap treasure. You can't. You reap what you sow. Here's the second law of the harvest. Normally, you reap later than you sow. Now, we all know of stories of somebody getting drunk and then going out that day and doing something crazy and it costing them big time. Most of the time, well, in, in, in agriculture, if you plant in April, you don't harvest in May. It's August, September, October. See, that's what happened with David. Listen, David, hey, David may have sat around the castle and said, you know what? Things are good. And Bathsheba sure looks good in my wife pool over there. The boy, later on it came to roost, didn't it? You reap later than you sow. And here's the third thing. You reap more than you sow. Do you get that? That's a scary thing. Good or bad. Hey, it's an interesting thing in agriculture. You plant a few seeds and you can get a tree or you can get a corn stalk. And you can get a lot of things just from a seed or two. You normally, you always reap what you sow. You normally reap later, and you always reap more than you sow. Here's the thing on the sin end of things, too, that David found out that we need to be aware of. Sin always takes you farther than you want to go. Listen, all David wanted to have was a fling. Pretty woman. Nobody was going to know. Anybody told, David's going to pop their heads. All David wanted was one night of a little pleasure. Sin costs, man, it always takes you farther than you want to go. Here's the second thing. It lasts you longer than you want it to last. Five years later, David was still going, my goodness, what a train wreck I created. It, it lasts you longer, and it always costs you more than you want to pay. It costs you more than you want to pay. Do you think David looked back and he said, oh, this one night with Bathsheba was worth it? (laughs) No. If you were to go in a Christian bookstore, you could find uh, books by a guy named Charles Swindoll, Chuck Swindoll. He's written probably 60 or 70 books. He's a great preacher. He's a great writer. And he tells a story when he was in Europe one time doing a conference and he was by himself. His wife and his kids were, in, in, were back here in America. And he, the conference was over, and he had walked around town. He went back to the hotel. And when he got to the hotel, he stepped in the elevator. And when he did, two prostitutes stepped in with him. He said, I could tell they were prostitutes. They didn't have, like, name tags, prostitute, you know. But <laughs> you, you know how. And he was being courteous. He punched his hotel floor, and he asked the ladies, he said, which floor are y'all going to? And one of them looked at him and smiled and said, wherever you're going. Swindoll said, the first thing that came to my mind was not my wife. It was not my kids. He said, it wasn't even my job as a pastor. 
He said, the first thing that came to my mind was Galatians 6, 7. Be not deceived. God is not mocked. Whatsoever a man soweth, he reaps. And Swindoll said, by the grace of God, I looked back at her and said, no thanks. Let's pray. If you're a Christian, a lot to chew on. Several big things we need to respond to. Man, respond to God now. All this is about protecting you, not to be mean to you. If you're not a Christian, would you give your life to Christ right where you are this morning? Would you pray with me and just say, Jesus, I'm a sinner. And I want to turn from my sins. I believe you're God's son and that you died and arose for me. Jesus, come into my heart. And I give you my life today. Let me have your attention. When we stand in a moment, if you just, if you just ask Christ in your heart, are you ready to do that? Would you come? Would you come to the, today and give your life to Christ? You'll reap the benefits of that forever. Come and do that this morning. Maybe you'd like to join the church. One way you can do it is by easing down the aisle this morning. Come and join us today. We'd love for you to. Christian, maybe it'll be where you're standing or maybe maybe at the altar praying with a minister. You need to say to God, man, God, I want to repent today of how I've blown it. See, this message wasn't to kick us for what's happened in the past, but to help us get it right and to do right moving forward. Every one of us here needs to say, God, help me to live out these laws in my life from this point on. Let's stand, and as God leads you, respond to him this morning. We'll be waiting on you down here at the altar.